All right, let's jump right into this teaching. If you have Bibles, open them to Exodus chapter 20, uh, beginning our reading at verse 4. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I, I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But, everybody shout, but. I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commandments. Shout amen. 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 Please be seated. This is the fourth week in on our study and reflecting on the Ten Commandments. Actually, in the Hebrew, uh, the Ten Commandments is actually referred to as the Ten Words of God. Ten Words of God, from which we have extracted God's top 10. If you're joining us for the first time, I encourage you to go to our website, nbccbarrier.com, and pick up on the messages that you have lost, uh, not had a chance to hear. Now, uh, I have been saying, and Pastor Tilden said earlier, that the best way to understand the insight from these Ten Commandments is to do so from inside of a living relationship with God. If you're not inside of a living relationship with God, these commandments will come across uh, as archaic and oppressive. But if you're inside of a living relationship with God, as was the nation of Israel, through which we have come forth, uh, if you're inside of a living relationship with God, then you will receive these commandments in the same way as receiving the heart of God. A heart that is for you and not against you that wants you to have freedom and does not want you to be enslaved. When Jesus was asked about these commandments, his response in Matthew chapter 22 was this. You shall love the Lord thy God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. He said this is the first and greatest commandment. And by that, he's making a pretty important point. The first point he's making is that the things that we love the most has have an enormous influence on shaping who we become. So where your greatest affections are, that will dictate a lot about who you become, your priorities and sense of purpose in the world. So he says it's the greatest commandment, and it refers to the first four commandments, all about the relationship we have with God. And then he says, the second is equally as important, Love your neighbor as yourself, which refers to the last six of the commandments. And if we love God in the right way, then we will love others. That's all about loving others. So the teaching here is that these ten words, the ten commandments, are relevant to followers of Jesus because essentially they tell us, they give us some clues in terms of what it means to follow Jesus. Now let's jump and look at this, this uh, passage really quick, the second commandment. It begins by saying, uh, you must not make for yourselves. Everybody say, myself. myself. 
Don't make for yourselves an idol of any kind. Then, essentially God restates the same thing. He just says it differently. Uh, or an image, which was a kind of a carved out statue. That's what that really meant. Sometimes they were large. Sometimes uh, they were reasonably large. You could carry on a cart. And sometimes, in many instances, they were small. You could put in a, in a, in a saddle bag. Uh, they were portable, if you would. He says, uh, don't make uh, an image of any kind, of anything in the heavens, on the earth, or in the seas. Essentially, these statues would reflect uh, birds. They reflect animals and human beings like Pharaoh, who was considered a god. And they reflect fish in the sea. And in that day, uh, people made, uh, there were many different kinds of gods. And they had gods for different things. So they had gods for fertility, for sex, and for having children. They had statues and idols for that. They had gods for a great harvest. Uh, they had statues and idols for that. They had, they had gods and idols for this and gods and idols for that. And their gods were always visible, manipulable. They could carry them with them. The children of Israel would be the only people uh, in, 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 in that context who, number one, believed that God was one God. He wasn't a lot of different gods, but was just one God. And number two, that one God, they wouldn't have a physical image of it. Really set them aside. I'll get back to why that was important a little later. So what's the definition of an idol? Here's the definition of an idol. An idol is anything that occupies the space and place in your life that God should occupy. That is an idol. Well, how do we notice the text? You must not make for yourselves any idol. Here's a little insight. Idols do not make themselves. We make idols for us. The stone and the wood that was used back in that day to make idols were gifts from God. God intended them to have stone and wood. He just didn't intend for them to use the stone and the wood to make idols. Well, how do we make idols today? I, I, I'm so excited how you guys ask questions. You just... <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I'll give you two insights on how we make idols today. Let me back into it. Some of you know that when I was a preteen and teenager, I had a fascination with Elvis Presley. It is safe to say he was my idol. Now, uh, as I was growing up, essentially, uh, uh, I tried to, I wanted to look like him. I wanted to sing like him. <laughs> and I wanted to dance like him. Now, I, 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 I'll, I'll tell you why. Because... Because, you know, I, I grew up scarred, and whenever I would chase girls, they'd run from me. Um, <laughs> I used to say I'd chase a lot of girls, just couldn't catch any. But Elvis had a power. Everybody say power. I mean, he had a power. I mean, my goodness. I mean, he'd start singing, he'd start moving that leg. And, man, girls would start screaming, and they would just gloss over. And, and I was like, I wanted that power. I just wanted that power. So, so you know, I would get a little, you know, because he had that little curly hair like that. So I'd get a little knit cap and get me some thread and put down there. 
trying, but I mean, I got it down, man. I, 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 I can sing. Let me see. I can sing. I can sing. I can sing. I can sing. You ain't nothing but. You know, I had all of that. <laughs> you're on the stand. You're on the stand. All right. So, so I had the voice. I had the voice. I voice. And in my younger days, I had the moves. I had the moves. I had the moves. And yet, with all of that, the girls would laugh at me, but they wouldn't come to me. So I finally discovered that the power that I really needed, I couldn't get from Elvis. That ultimately it would be my having an encounter with Jesus Christ and my receiving him as my Lord and Savior and beginning to learn through that relationship how much he loved me and his grace and his forgiveness and the power of his love would begin to transform me from the inside out and without a kneecap, come on now, and without impersonating anybody else, I discovered I could just be me with my natural gifts and God would let what he put in me come out and I'm here today on God's power well, not Elvis's power. Here's the point. Whenever you look to receive something, to get something from someone or something that you only get from God, you've made it an idol. Could be a job could be children. We've just dedicated children. When you look to get from those children what only God can give you, you've made them idols. Could be your physical fitness. Could be the warriors. <laughs> when you look to get from something or someone else what only God can give you, you've made it an idol. Second way that we make idols. When I was pastoring back in Boston, a church called Roxbury Presbyterian Church, Presbyterian Congregation, uh, we would have during the order of worship something called doxology. We sing the doxology. Many of you out of similar traditions, you will be familiar with this notion of doxology. It was usually a small, brief hymn, two, three, three verses that would be sing, song. Everybody would sing it together. And doxology, essentially, of the, the word itself means to shine a light on the weight of God. It, it, it was intended to remind us that God was God. Now, I just dropped a reason why you should want to gather every Sunday to worship, along with me, right? Not because, not out of guilt, not because somebody's forcing you, but all of us, beginning with me, we all have an idol-making tendency. And when we come in here and we do worship like you just heard and, and participated in and we teach the word, we have an opportunity to be reminded it's not our job, it's not our children, it's not our cars, it's not our boyfriend, it's not our spouse. It is God who's God. We need to be reminded. All of us need, including me, we need to be reminded because we have idol making tendencies now watch the structure of the doxology one of there are several here's one that I particularly like it started off like this uh, praise God from whom all blessings flow 
Watch the structure. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. All right, now here's, here's, here's a little insight. Here's what the doxology is saying. Essentially, it's modeled after James' teaching that says uh, that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. If it's, a, if, it's a, if it's a good gift that is in your life, if it is a blessing, whatever it is, it comes from God. Now, let me give you a little insight here. Every now and then, I have my nephews, my daughter, we try to keep them on weekends. And sometimes I will, you know, I go get some candy and some other stuff. And I give this one some over here and I give this one some and some over here. And inevitably a fight breaks out. And they start fussing at me. How come you gave Elijah that and you only gave me this? And, 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 and how come you gave uh, 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 Malachi this and, and you left me out? Uh, Lauren will say, I, I mean, you just gave me this little bit and you gave them that and this is unfair. And I just have to say, time out. First of all, I don't have to give you nothing. <laughs> it's all a gift. If I give you one piece or ten pieces, come on now, a patty or a chocolate bar, it's all gifts. It's up to me. They belong as my money. <laughs> and, and, and it reminds me that oftentimes we treat God like that. We say, God, she's got a husband. How come I don't have a husband? Or oh, God, this person is well. How come I'm struggling? Or oh, they've got this job and I don't have this job. Well, you know, at the end of the day, it all belongs to God. And he, he can give out whatever he wants. It's all, they all gifts. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. My son is 25 years old. My daughter is 11. My nephews fall within from 11 to about 8. So for at least the last 25 years, I've been giving out gifts. I give out all kinds of gifts, clothes, jewelry, candy, playstations, weave, automobile, all kinds of gifts. But here's what I know about me. I never want my children to love the gifts that I give them more than they love me. Because if they love the gifts that I give them more than they love me, it changes the relationship that they have with me, right? They exalt the gift into the place that I should be in. And they, and they change how they relate to me. Suddenly they are relating to me on the basis of what I give them, not on the basis of who I am. They ought to just love me because I'm their daddy. So here's the insight, right? We make idols when we love the gifts more than the gift giver. Praise my job from whom all blessings flow. Now, baby, that job is a gift from God. I did a marriage the other day, yesterday. Married a couple. And the young lady, 
they had vows that they wrote. And the young lady shared her vows. It was a moving, both were moving, but this was particularly insightful. Here's what she said, paraphrasing. She said to the groom, when you, I couldn't believe that you were attracted to me. Because I knew me and I knew all of the flaws in my life. I couldn't believe that when you saw me, you saw someone beautiful. I couldn't believe that you, given who you are and how amazing you are, that you would actually fall in love with me. And then she says, and as I thought about it, if you can see me this way and treat me this way, being flawed, how much more God must love me being perfect. And then she ended like this. This is my shouting material. She ended like this. So she says, so every time, my paraphrase, every time I think of you, I praise God. That's the right order, right? That's the right order. That when you think about your job, whether you're a plumber or a truck driver or a lawyer in education, you ought to praise God. It's a gift from God. When you think about your children or your grandchildren, you're very happy and excited and celebrating. You're sacrificing for them. But it ought to be that when you think about them and how good they are, you should praise God. When you think about that, that handsome guy that you're dating or that, that's that pretty girl that you're dating or your wife or whatever, the, you ought to praise God because all of these are evidences that God exists and he's got you on his agenda. Otherwise, when you love the gift and lose sight of the giver, You've turned the gift into an idol. Watch the text. Because the text says, don't make for yourself any idol. Nor make an image of anything in the heavens, on the earth, or in the seas below. Watch it. Then it says, don't bow to any of them. Don't worship any of them. Better translation, don't worship them or serve them here's the insight the moment I allow my children or my job or my physical routine or my dogs or my cat come on now whatever we put here whatever uh, the moment I allow my money to become the center of my greatest love I have made it an idol that will lead to worship and it will ultimately end up in my serving it. In other words, it will enslave me. So when God gives these commandments, he's trying to figure out how to keep us from being enslaved. But move towards freedom. None of them. Now, so let's stay with that point. Let's talk a little bit more about what happens when we make idols. Isn't there a show called American Idol? What happens when we make idols? Oh, watch the passage. It says, 
But God says, for I am I the Lord your God am a jealous God and I will not tolerate your affections for any other gods now I had a member many 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 years ago when I first pastored who asked me this question if God is supposed to be all holy how can he say he's jealous and I, I, I never fully answered that question I regret to this day that I never fully answered that question so let me answer it for you Pastor Tilden framed it for us a few weeks ago first of all you need to understand that there is a negative side to jealousy and a positive side to jealousy the negative side to jealousy is that if 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 someone doesn't have a relationship with you they just see you from a distance and they decide you ought to be theirs and they start to be jealous because you with somebody else and stalk you and all that's negative jealousy or it's destructive or if you're in a relationship with someone but their insecurities are so deep that they are falsely accusing you and smothering you and that they are, are dominatingly controlling your life out of this, this horrendous place of unfounded insecurity. That's destructive. Neither of those examples are what's going on here in this text. The positive side is what's really happening because what's going on is that God uh, has in, in many ways at the mountain it's as though they are exchanging vows and essentially God is saying repeatedly through these commandments I am the Lord listen he says he says for I the Lord your God meaning I belong to you I, 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 I'm exclusively yours and you belong to me and you're exclusively mine and 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 and, and, and I don't want to share you all right let me get it put it where you can get it Rhonda and I have been married for 30 years, almost. August 2 will be 30 years. She keeps reminding, I keep saying 30, she's saying 29. In other words, don't rush me, it's the aging process. <laughs> Living with me when you drive that aging process. Anyway, <laughs> if I came home tonight and I said to Rhonda, Baby, I've been thinking. I've been thinking about my ex. And I wonder, would it be all right? Because we got one of these big picture things. It would it be all right if I just put a picture of her up? <laughs> I, I just want a picture of her up. That's all. I just want to put a picture up. Now, let me just tell you, in case you don't, can't guess, <laughs> that a tornado would break out in Palo Alto. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. Rhonda would say, wait a minute. <laughs> when she put you down, who was there to pick you up? Come on now. When you were nobody, I, I loved you like you were royalty. 
when you didn't have a reputation come on now I treated you like you were a king and I've sacrificed and worked all through all the last 30 I put you through school boy come on now I've I, I done all of that come on and now you're gonna have the audacity at, at, at almost 30 years to say to me that you want her picture What's going on? Is, is it jealousy? Of course. Because I'm exclusively hers, Rhonda, right? And by, by putting the picture up, Rhonda knows what God knows. Come on now. If you make an image and put it up, later on there will be worship and later on there will be serving. In other words, not only will I have broken Rhonda's heart, but her jealousy, A, reveals the hurt I've caused her. But B, her jealousy is also designed to protect me from hurting myself. So when God says, I'm a jealous God, come on, here's what he's saying. He said, listen, listen, nation of Israel, I've gone through a lot to rescue you. Come on, it cost me seven plagues to get you out of Egypt. Come on now. And then when I got you out of Egypt, I, I, I went and got you to the Red Sea and they changed their mind. They were going to kill you. I had to disrupt the ecology and open up the Red Sea. I've paid a price to get you out of there. Come on now. And when you were in the wilderness, come on now. I fed you when you were hungry. I gave you water when you were thirsty. I was a way out of no way for you. Come on now. You were slaves, but I was elevating you to royalty. I called you my people. Come on now. And I brought you to the top of the mountain and you've got the audacity to want to put up a Facebook page of your ex y'all ain't listening you going to the Instagram of another image come on now you want to call who not on my watch I won't tolerate it why because by being in a relationship with you I've given you an extraordinary power like there is nowhere else in the universe. You have the power, God says, to break my heart. You hurt me when you reject me. That's how real the relationship is. And not only do you hurt me, but I'm jealous not only because uh, it reveals the pain that comes from your rejection, but I'm jealous because I'm trying to keep you from going back into slavery. So when we make other idols, it hurts God. The very hurt reveals the depth of how much he loves you. Amen. Secondly, when we make idols, it hurts others. This is the teaching of the passage when it says, for I will uh, rest the sins of the parents upon the children. The whole family is affected. That's what the text says. Even 
to the third and fourth generation. But you can't stop reading there. You got to keep going. But, shout but. I will lavish unfailing, the word means steadfast love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey. Now, when we read this text, we feel like we are either in the third or fourth generation part of the text, or maybe we're in the thousand years. We know what it feels like to be in the third or fourth. Let me tell you exactly what God is saying. God is saying, when you reject me, uh, because when you love God, your love for God drives you towards healthy relationship with other people. It is a scripture that says, when God says in 1 John, uh, if, how can you say you love me whom you've not seen if you hate your brother and sister who you've seen? Right? It is the scriptures of the word of God that declares if you do not take care of your own relatives, especially those in your household, come on, you have in effect, ultimately, you, you're worse than an un. Believer, and you've undermined the faith. You see the point? It is, it is the scripture that we hear Jesus says, love one another the same way I have loved you. It is in scripture that we hear Jesus declare what you've done to the least of these. Visit them in prison. Take, help them when they're sick. Take, take them in when they're foreigners and visit. You have done to me. It is Jesus who declares, love your neighbor as yourself. Point B, when I'm in a relationship with God and it's healthy, it drives me towards relationships with others and when I reject God I'm more than likely moving away from healthy relationship with others and what God is saying is that there are consequences and when he says that I'm gonna let it rest on the on the on the, the, the sins of the parents and the children all he's saying is that is that that I'm I'm there's a, I'm, I'm, there's a, I'm not going to disrupt the penalty, the consequence, because if I do that, you won't have an incentive to see that what you're doing is wrong and turn. Now, let me give you some examples. We know these examples, right? What the, the sin of the parents find them ways into the sin of the children, into the lives of the children, second and third generation, third and fourth generation. We understand this, right? For example, we know that if a boy grows up in a house where his father or the man in the house is beating up the woman, that that boy is more likely than not when he becomes a man to become an abuser of women. We know that if that's a girl growing up in the same house and her mom is being beaten up on a regular basis, that she's more likely than not, as the time she hits a teenager, is to be into an abusive relationship where she's being abused. See the consequences? We know that, that if, uh, if a fella in certain communities uh, ends up losing his father, ends up in prison, that the, probability, the likelihood of him ending up in prison has just shot up. And in some prisons, we have three generations of men in the same prison. You see, there are consequences. But watch this. Third, fourth generation. Let's say it's, a generation is roughly 20 years. So that's 60 to 80 years. That's within one lifespan. Here's what God is saying. Watch this. While you have a whole life to mess up the next generation, 
you also have the same time period to choose a different route. How do you say that? Because he also says, I will bless you with unfeeling love, lavish for a thousand. That's roughly 20,000 years. So 80, it's not either or, they both run together. Y'all see what I'm saying? The 80 is inside of the 20,000. And what he's saying is, I've surrounded even your most insane moments with love. I've decided to surround your most insane moment with an insane love. And, 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 and we know that people have been able to break cycles because they've been able to lean into the love and grace of God. That's what he said. So as long as you're breathing, it's never too late. Because God's love is coming right along. God's hope, God's possibility is right alongside. You just have to see it. The worst place to be is for you to sit in here and feel like your life is hopeless. Because when you feel like it's hopeless, you feel like it's helpless. And when you feel like there's no help, then you just resign to being anyone and doing anything. But oh, if you can open your eyes. And see that right long. See, when we see Jesus on the cross, they gotta hurry up. That's, that's not God somehow dismissing the consequences. That's God saying, I love you so much, I'm gonna show up in the consequences. I'm right there. And I still call you mine. All right, so let's finish this here. All right, so we've talked about what an idol is. Anything that takes the place of God. We've talked about how we make idols. And we've talked about what happens when we make idols. We hurt God. We hurt others, right? We, we, we hurt others. And we ultimately hurt ourselves. But then let's hear what God says to us as we wrap this up. God declares some things. Now, let's, let's hope some stuff open up for us here. Here's what God declares. God declares there's no need for you to make an image. Because... I made you in my image. You, did you read in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 where the word says, watch it, where it says, for God made humankind in his own image. And the text really means is that when you see, while we all bear the image of God, but it's best seen when you put humanity together in its broad and deep diversity, all the different colors, all the different expressions, the, the male and the female, all that stuff. When you put it all together, come on, prior to sin, God was saying, when I looked at humanity in its totality, I saw a reflection of me. And so what he was doing with Israel in Genesis chapter 12, he spoke to Abraham. He said, Abraham, I, I, I'm going I'm to raise up a great nation out of you. And out of that nation, all of the families of the world will be blessed. And that was his way of saying that the nation of Israel, I expect them, come on now, we talked about this last week, to be bearers of my character and my reputation. I'm giving you these 10 words because if you will live them out, People will look at you, Israel, and get a glimpse of me. Don't make an image. I've made you an image. And secondly, I've given you my son Jesus as a perfect image of me. 
Then you read in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, where it says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Now, when he says that, he's not talking about portraits painted by Michelangelo or anybody else. When he talks about Christ as the, as the image. Now, let me just tell you exactly what's going on there. In the Renaissance, when they started painting portraits of Jesus, Michelangelo was trying to capture the theological insight, which is that in Jesus, God became like me. So he painted a Jesus looked like him. But if you go to Africa or to Asia, come on, or to, to, to the Latin America, you'll find portraits of Jesus looking like folk in those areas. All of that is theologically correct because they're just capturing the point that in Jesus, God became like me. But have you ever noticed that when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there are no pictures? Unless you're reading a children's book. No pictures, yet full of pictures. Because when you read about Jesus, there's a picture that begins to pop on your mind. Come on now. When you read about him healing the sick and raising the dead and giving sight to the blind and feeding hungry people and touching and loving the outcasts like leopards and forgiving sinners like the woman caught in adultery. When you see this picture of Jesus, it is a picture of the character and the heart of God. And so... Then it comes to where we are, the church. We're supposed to be a reflection of Jesus. First Peter says this, you are a peculiar people, a royal priesthood, a chosen generation, and you have been called out to show forth the goodness of God in that God has called you out of the dark into the marvelous light. Everybody say goodness of God. Now, we can do that individually, right? That's part of being followers of Jesus. We try to treat people right. We try to love people in the way that we're showing forth the goodness of God. Seeing the transformation that takes place, we can do that individually. But it's most powerfully done when we come together on Sunday mornings. So one reason why we ought to come together regularly on Sunday mornings is because we all have an idol-making tendency. And here we are reminded who the real God is. But a second reason we ought to come together uh, on Sunday mornings is because when we come together on Sunday morning, the world is able to see a picture of God that they can't see regularly. Look at this congregation, the diversity, the black and the white and the Republican and the Democrat. Come on now. The tall and the short, the men and the women, all right here, part of the kingdom of God, wrapped by the, saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Where do you find this picture at? Come on now. Uh, out there in the basketball game, you find something look like this, but they don't know each other come on now but in here we're part of the same family the same savior the same Lord. and we have the unique responsibility of sharing the goodness of God that's a part of our culture it's part of culture let me tell you as I run out of time let me tell you one very quick story I was invited to DC to uh, speak a friend of mine said Asked me to come. He paid the trip, plane, put me up in the Meridian Hotel. So they, they picked me up in a car, drove me to the Meridian Hotel. When the guy opened the door, he says, Mr. Hamilton, we've been expecting you. I said, oh, this is nice. Really? How did you know? We've been expecting you. I said, oh, my goodness. I got out of the car. And I got ready to get my bags. He said, no, 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 no. Let me get my We're going to take care of your bags. I said, really? He said, yeah, yes, yes. 
He says, we got that. You come with me. He, he, he led me into the Meridian Hotel. This big fancy hotel. Wealthy. I walked up to the, to the counter. And, and the guy said, he's a host. The guy said to the woman behind the, the counter. And the, guy, the man behind the counter. Two men. He said, this is Mr. Hamilton. And the guy behind the counter said, oh, Mr. Hamilton, we've been expecting you. I said, really? He said, yes. He said, wait just a moment. And he, he, called the, the, he called up the phone. He said, Mr. Hamilton is here. We want to give him our best room. I was like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I used to see the smile on my face. Now, I paid for one dime. Come on now. But, 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 but. And then, then, then the guy said, uh, they looked. And they said, wait a moment. And they said, what's your first name? I said, Herman, Herman Hamilton. He looked back, and then the embarrassment on his face. I'm sorry, we got you confused. <laughs> but just for 10 minutes, y'all, for 10 minutes, for 10 minutes, 10 minutes, I was a VIP, y'all. Come on now, for 10 minutes. That's the kind of environment that we're trying to create here. An irresistible environment. That's why I pray that God will raise folk up. You saw Pastor Tilden out there as you drove in. He was, he was doing parking today, right? Because, because I'm praying that God will raise up enough of you, right? That you'll be out there and that, that, and that you're so diverse. You're, I don't need special folk. I need regular everyday people. Come on, out there waving people in because the average person... They make a decision about whether they're going to come back to a church in the first seven minutes. In the first seven minutes, they not only make a judgment about the church, but it either confirms or dislodges a judgment they've made about God. So we want people out there on the parking, regular people like you, come on, now out there waving people in because that's our way of expressing the goodness of God. We're saying, whoever you are, however bad you think your life is, God is waiting on you. He's welcoming you in. And so you come on in and when you park, we want greeters, not just inside the sanctuary here, inside the life. We want them outside. We need enough of y'all to get up and be outside. When people come, you will smile and welcome them like that guy welcomed me and say we're so happy to have you at NBCC and we want people to be looking around and say me yes you because Jesus died for you Jesus got up for you you are VIP when you come here come on now and, and, and then come on that's why we pay so much money for the donut holes come on now we get the best donut holes we get the best coffee come on now because we treat you like God sees you a VIP drug addict, that's all right. Liar, that's all right. Prostitute, that's all right. Here, you're God's VIP. And we believe the love of God can do what nothing else can do. That's why we have no more ushers here. Did you know that? We don't have ushers here. We've changed the name. We, 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 we now have host. Yes. Everybody say host. host. Let me tell you why. Because when you come to my house, I don't have ushers. <laughs> Not in my house, in Palo Alto. <laughs> I got me, Rhonda, 
and Lauren. And we your hosts. Come on, we're going to open the door. We're going to welcome you. We're going to bring you. We're not going to say, just go on in there and find a seat. We're not going to say that unless you're family. But if you're guys, come on. <laughs> but if you're guests, you're not a visitor. You're my guests. That's how the Meridian treated me as a guest, not a visitor. Come on now. And you're my guest. I'm going to bring you in. I'm going to sit you. Come and sit down here on the couch. I'm going to show you where to sit. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to say, do you want something to eat? I'm going to say, do you want something to, to, to drink? I'm going to say, here's the remote. What you want to watch on TV? I, I'm treating you in my house. You're a guest. This is God's house. Come on now. And when you just showed up, for, I want you to know you're God's guest. We have hosts, y'all. Our job is to help you to come in. Don't send them down the aisle. We're going to take you. You'll get to know who you are as we walk with you. We're going to say, sit down over here. If somebody's praying, we're not going to lock you out in the lobby. You need to be in the sanctuary. We're going to open the door. Come on now. We're going to say, come on in. Just stand right on the inside when they finish praying. Uh, and, and if you need to go to children's and youth ministry, we're not going to say go down that street and to turn around the corner and to go over to around there. Uh, didn't you see the sign? We don't do that here. Come on now. We're hosts. We said, baby, yes, come on. Let me take you. And that creates an irresistible environment. That even when I preach something that really shakes you up, you still come back because the hospitality is contagious. <laughs> I finish here. Yesterday I got word of one of my greeters, been with us from the beginning. She died. She went on in to meet the Lord. Pastor Tilden went to see her before, maybe less than 24 hours before she died. She opened her eyes. She recognized Pastor Tilden. And she said to Pastor Tilden, I can't wait to get back to my church. What is it that's so special about this place? That when you're dying, on your way to glory, you still miss this experience. It's because here, and she was a greeter, here, our number one priority is to show you the goodness of God. No matter who you are. And that makes all difference. Give God a hand praise. Show me your card, your connection card. On the next steps, you may want to say, yes, I want to trust Jesus for the first time. Let the praise team come on. Oh, yes, I'm ready to be baptized, make a public expression. Oh, yes, I'm ready to join a small group. But under the response of the message, I want to challenge each of you because this is something you can do individually and it's something that you can join us collectively here and help us to do. I want to challenge you to write, put it up here. I want to challenge you to write this response. I will show others the goodness of God. On your job, to your grandkids, individually, 
But I hope it means that if you're not serving, you're just kind of hanging out. You're thinking, well, that's for the really special people. No, I hope because there's some people coming that God is sending. They're just like you. They need to see somebody just like you. I hope you will say, I'm going to show the goodness of God. And then under the next step, I hope you will check. I want to serve. You don't have to be a member or a partner of this church. You just have to be somebody who knows how good God has been to you. And you want to help us to share the goodness of God to other people just like you. And then turn this card in and get ready for your next venture. God bless you.